Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Welcome. I want to say thank you for being here today. All of you on campus who braved the nasty weather out there. So I'm wearing a sweater today. It's just a sweater day, right? And uh, all of you are doing church at home, micro church, church online, watching on demand. We're so glad you're here today. We are finishing our series called Seven Rules for Life. It is a study of the book of Galatians. Now, Galatians is a letter that Paul wrote to the people living in the region of Galatia, Matadid, Turkey. And what happened is people were trying to persuade them to leave pure devotion to faith in Jesus Christ and also become Jewish on top of that and start following the law. Paul says you can't do both. And so he talks about seven rules that uh, are primary principles of why you can't do both. You have to pick one or the other, and this makes a huge difference in your life. Now, these principles are all about what you think, what you believe, your behavior, and what you do, and your attitude about your life. Now, you can go and listen to all of the messages in this series by going to our YouTube channel, You can start a little account there on YouTube, uh, just your name and an email address real quick, and then you can have access to all of our messages. Now, search Foothills Boise. You want to make sure Boise's in the search there because uh, that will take you to our channel and subscribe while you're there. And then you'll have access to everything. And our messages on YouTube go back, I think, a couple of years now. Today, what we're going to do, though, is we're going to finish with the seventh rule, and this is chapter six of the book of Galatians, and it is all about community. It's all about how we are to live in community, and what that means is living your life in your church. So I want everybody to find a church, be a part of a church, because this is one of the rules of life that make a massive difference in the kind of life that you not only live, but how you maintain that faith in Jesus Christ as your only option. Now, let's jump in, beginning with verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. And what I want you to see as we go through this, I'm kind of just going to go verse, tell you what it means, go through some verses, tell you what it means. And the reason for that is because he doesn't come right out and say overtly, you know, live in church, live in church. But it's the unspoken premise, right? Everything he says and teaches is based upon that belief or that fact. And I think you'll pick up on it as we go through. So let's begin. First one, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So notice here, right off the bat, he talks about the nature of church is a place that helps us carry one another's burdens and restore one another when we get off track. The church is designed to encourage you, to inspire you, 
to coach you, and to restore you. Community is a very important part of any person's spiritual growth. I'm going to tell you a story about two young ladies, Avery and Samantha, and kind of compare their situations. It's, it's a, a kind of an amalgam of two people that, uh, that represent conversations with young ladies that I have had over the last 34 years, over and over and over again at a very transitional part of their life. So I'd like to use them as an opportunity to kind of help us understand a little bit more of what he's talking about. Now, Avery and Samantha were both involved. They attended a church and they were athletes. Uh, Avery was a cross-country runner and she was in her region kind of a little local star. Samantha was a volleyball player and she was uh, a tremendous spiker because she was tall she was pretty big and she could jump. And so she's pretty athletic. And they both got scholarships to D1 programs, different schools. So Avery goes to school. And when she gets there, she realizes, wait a second, I'm not the big fish in the little pond anymore. As a matter of fact, everybody here can run faster than me as a freshman. And so she was really like, oh my goodness, but one of the gals that she was running with, who was a freshman too, said, hey, I'm going to go to an FCA meeting. Do you want to go? And she's like, what's that? She says, it's called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So she says, okay, let's go. So they found this group. And she says, looking back on her entire experience, that being a part of that community made all the difference in her faith, and it really helped her. Samantha, on the other hand, she played volleyball, and she was always down at the court and stadium, and she's around a lot more people. There's a lot more hubbub where she was at. You know, the cross-country team, they go outside and run through the country, you know. Uh, but the training there was, was a lot more people, a lot more trainers, a lot more of recovery and nutritionists and all this kind of stuff. And so what happened is one of them said, hey, we're going to get together and we're going to go to a party this Friday night. Do you want to come? She says, sure, I'd love to. So she kind of got into the party crowd right off the Bat. Looking back, she says, that was one of the worst communities to be a part of in college. It was not good for me. We'll dig into it a little bit more. Now, why do I bring that up? Because we want to talk about the importance of community for your faith. And Paul is saying that the church exists for the purpose of building your faith, growing your faith, and strengthening your faith. Now, why do you need to strengthen your faith? And how do you do that? Well, he tells us in verses three through six. So let's read those. Verse three, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. 
Now, notice what he says here. He talks about what happens when we are deceived, and then he talks about how we should not compare, and then he talks about how we should view those who are helping coach us in our faith. So let's go through those one at a time. When you believe you are something you are not, and then you live that way, that's called deception. You know what the most annoying thing about deception is? You never know when it's happening, right? You just never know. Has somebody like taken advantage of you, run a griff on you, and then at the last point, you suddenly realize it and you're just like, oh, I'm such an idiot. I wish I would have known that. A number of years ago, uh, in 2016, we went and lived in Italy for three months, and uh, it was a great time. And we went to uh, a little town. Pastor Harv went to this town. He says, my favorite one, one of my favorites in Italy is called uh, Siena. And so we went there, and we were there, and I was reading Rick Steves. You know, Rick Steves is the guy that tells you what to do and not do. And he goes, now the thing about it is there's this big uh, open uh, plaza there, and on like Friday and Saturday nights, they have concerts there and all that kind of stuff. And he goes, you could go to a coffee shop. He goes, now you're going to pay 15 euros for a cup of coffee, which is about 20 bucks for a little tiny cup of coffee. He goes, but what you're really paying for is the seat, right? Because you can sit there and look out and enjoy the concert, you know? Well, we get there, and we're there at nine o'clock in the morning, and we're kind of walking through the city just initially, and there, we, we stumble upon this big, huge uh, plaza there, and uh, my wife and daughter say, oh, we'd like a coffee, you know, or something like that. And I said, oh, well, maybe we'll go over here. And so I made the biggest mistake, the biggest mistake, and that is I didn't ask them how much the coffee was right? So coffees there, espressos, you know, were like a buck, like a euro or a buck 50 euro, something like that. And so they came out and my son got a little juice. And so it came out, it was 45 euros for a coffee and a little juice, right? And I just was like, ah, I got caught. I was so mad at myself, man. I was, so I stomped around and my kids were just like, just leave him alone. He'll cool off eventually. Just ignore him, you know? And so when you're deceived, you don't know you're being deceived. And that's what's so annoying about it, right? You just don't know. And this is what Paul is saying. Did you know that when you believe a falsehood about yourself and then you make decisions on that falsehood, you're living a deceived life? How in the world are you going to feel good about yourself? How are you going to know who you are when you adopt a false identity and then you make decisions based on that? He says, you are deceived. And so that's why this is such an important part. He goes, one of the ways we deceive ourselves is we compare ourselves with other people, right? We look at other people and we say, man, I wish I had his job, or I wish I had his charisma. I wish I had his success or his work ethic. Because, man, if I, if I had that, then I'd be happier with my own life. You know, you might say, oh, I wish I had, was married to her husband because, or I wish I had her job, or I wish I had her hair, or I wish I was as smart or as nice, or as, you just fill in the blanks. We constantly compare ourselves with everybody else. And then what we do is we don't feel like we measure up because we're not like them. There's only one you, everybody else is taken. So just be you, okay? 
You do you. And so Paul's saying that the best way to not be deceived is don't compare your job, your career, your success, your fame, your friends, your marriage, your kids to anybody else's. What you can do, though, is look at where you're at and see where you're going. And in that process, you discover what God is doing in you. And you can take pride in that. And you can feel good about that. Now, what's really interesting is that Avery and Samantha both built their identity around sports. They were athletes, right? But then when they went to a D1 level program, they realized we're not all that. We're just one of many. We're not the best anymore. And that really shook their identity. And what they began to discover is you cannot build a identity around your athleticism. You just can't do it because that will not sustain your soul. You need something more. And what Avery found out is that that more was in Christ. Samantha couldn't find it because she was partying all the time. And partying is designed to do one thing, distract you not to engage you. So the, only, the comparisons were not helping in either of their lives, yet they had to grow through that. Now look at what happens next in verses seven through 10, because now we see how the community you choose helps you grow through a false identity and avoid being deceived. Look at what he says in verse seven. Do not be deceived. Okay, so now we see he's telling us not to be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So how is it that we avoid deception? Well, he says this, don't sow seeds unto fleshly desires that drive you away from God. Now, what's really interesting is I need you to understand a very important principle here. And that is this, you have a material body. It exists in this reality. Your body influences what you think. It influences your behavior. It influences what you believe. And it influences how you feel about your life. Isn't this true? We find this all true. How many of you get grouchy if you haven't eaten for a while, do you get hangry? You know, you got, you know, a lot of people get hangry. You know what I'm saying? What happens when you don't sleep for a while? You know, do you get irritating? Do you get a short fuse? What happens when you get deceived or taken advantage of? Do you stomp around? Do you yell or do you brood? You know, kind of a thing. How do you respond but you see, your body has desires and you can be influenced by those 
desires in your behavior and your thought life. Now, what's really interesting is because you grew up in this world, your body sometimes desires things that are bad for you. You grew up in a world where what you desire sometimes is not good for you. But this doesn't mean everything your body desires is evil. Sometimes your, your body desires things that influence your heart and your mind and your behavior that are good for you. The first thing that pops into my head, like napping. Napping is good for you. So your desire to take a nap, that's good. But when you desire to say, hey, I, if you're a guy and you say, you know what? I, I need something that gives me a sense of purpose in my life. I want to go out. I want to be successful at this. I want to be able to look back with pride on what I, the work that I put my hand to. That's a good desire, right? But then your body sometimes says, oh, that's a good desire, but yeah, I, I don't want to show up for work today, or I lost my motivation, or I, now your body is desiring something that's what? Bad for you. And Paul is saying, you get to choose how you program your body. You get to choose. It's similar to this. A professional athlete out there playing football, going through the year, having a great year, tears his ACL. Out for a year. Sorry. So they reconstruct it. So for the first three months, the doctor says, okay, we got to restruct this. Got to make sure the grafts take place so you can't move. So what does he do? He sits on the couch and he orders beer and potato chips and pizza from Grubhub. And what happens? He's watching TV. And after three months, what does his body crave? Beer, pizza, and naps, right? But then the doctor says, okay, time to go to PT. We're going to start rehabbing you, right? So he gets up, and that first time he works out, what does his body say? Does his body say, oh, I have longed for this. I want to get so back into this. No, his brain is saying that. His contract is saying that. His agent is saying that. But his body is saying, mm -mm -mm -mm, where's the beer and pizza, right? And his body aches, and it hurts, and it's sore because it doesn't want that. So his body is stopping him from pushing himself forward. But what does he do? He exercises discipline. He does it anyway. And after three or four months, what does his body desire now? His body doesn't want carbs and all that stuff. His body wants proteins. His body wants fuel. His body wants all this good stuff. His body wants to get up and get moving and work out and stretch and feel limber. His body wants that. How did that happen? Because he trained his body for what it desires. And this is what Paul is talking to you about spiritually. This is why we avoid debauchery and drunkenness and orgies and sexual immorality and hatred and malice and bitterness and unforgiveness. This is why we avoid division. We avoid these things because if we live in them and we embrace them, then what are we programming our souls to want? Things that are bad for our soul, destructive to our soul. I don't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. So invest and program yourself towards good things. And the only way you can do that is if you're in community. There's very, very few people, less than 5%, who have the discipline and the mental tenacity to go out in the wilderness all by themselves 
and invest themselves in working out and getting in shape. I mean, that's just a rarity. Most people, when they're not in community, they don't do as well. And that's what Paul's saying in this passage of Scripture. He's saying, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. This is how it works. Don't sow to the flesh, sow to the Spirit. Now, you know who else knows this truth? The world. The world knows this true. And this is why the world is constantly trying to tempt you with wrong desire. The world is constantly trying to get you to train your body to want things that are bad for you. One of the things that our world does is it says, you know what's going to make you happy is stuff. Now, having stuff is cool. Taking care of stuff, fine. Using stuff to help people and do great things, that's awesome. But can stuff actually make you happy? No. No, it can't. But the world has an entire industry called marketing designed to make you feel like if you buy that Jeep, you'll be the coolest, best-looking person that drives in the state of Idaho. Just make sure you don't have California plates and you'll be fine. <laughs> you see, we, we, oh, if I have that hair color, oh, if I have that jacket, you know, I look a certain way and I'm going to be what? Happy. But why doesn't it happen? Because the world's expert at it. You know what else the world does? The world uses chemicals to try to convince you that that is going to heal your soul. And so what do we do? Sometimes we drink. And sometimes people go, well, I just need to blow off some stream, so I'm gonna, uh, steam, so I'm going to just drink. And they drink and they keep drinking. Oh, I feel great. And da, da, da. Uh, you know, because I don't think about anything. I can be myself. No hindrances. So people start getting into a habit of drinking. Uh, drugs are becoming more legalized than ever before. So people are turning to things. It's like, well, we want to drink. We're going to smoke marijuana. We're going to take prescription drugs. And we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And we're just becoming a medicated society because our world says, hey, that's cool that's happy, that's fun, but your soul shrivels up and dies. The other thing that our society has gotten really good at since the 60s is using arousal. You know this is true, particularly for guys, because women in bikinis are used to sell what? Everything, right? Everything. We're trying to connect arousal with that, to an, to an emotional connection with that. This is why young people today uh, our, uh, our society, our media tries to arouse them, right? And then tell them what that means. Oh, you're aroused by that? Well, that's because you're this way. And when our society does that, the world is trying to program your body to want things that are bad for your soul. See, Paul is saying, in the end, you have a choice. You have a choice here. Don't let the world convince you you don't. You have a choice that you can follow the world's way and do what the world wants, but in the end, your soul will shrivel up. Jesus said it this way, what happens if you get every single thing you want in the world but lose your soul? Jesus is saying, the most important thing in the world is your soul. And the most important thing for you right now is the condition of your soul because out of it flows everything else. You got problems in your life you want to solve? Look into your soul first. You got relationships you want to heal? Look in your soul first. If you want to have a better confidence or courage or trajectory or meaning and purpose in your life, look in 
your soul first. Because the world knows that the best way to keep you on its trajectory is to convince your body to desire and want things that are bad for it. Now let's keep going, verse 11, okay? This is what he says. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Now if you're a Bible scholar, you know that Paul had a thorn in his flesh, and this is why scholars think that the thorn in Paul's flesh was his eyesight. Maybe he had cataracts, or we're not sure, because he had to write really big just so he could read it. He prayed that God would take it away, and it didn't. He talks about that in 2 Corinthians. Verse 12, those who want to impress people, okay, this is why you don't want to compare yourself because you start living to impress others instead of seeing God impress your soul. He says, if you want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised, but the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. My never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. See, none of this means a thing. What counts is the new creation. What counts is your new identity in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. He says, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to the Israel of God. Only communities that are focused on Jesus Christ and Christ alone make any difference. Circumcision and uncircumcision, religious organizations don't ultimately last. The only thing that lasts is when you are a part of community where Jesus Christ is the focus. This is why the world is constantly trying to tell the church what it should be. The world is constantly trying to tell the church, well, this is what a real Christian is. I can't tell you how many letters that I have received as a pastor in this church over 25 years where people write and say, if you don't care about this, fill in the blank. If you don't preach on this, fill in the blank, then you're not a Christian. And I'm like, oh, thank goodness. I have finally found the one person on the face of this planet who can decide whether I'm a follower of Christ or not. Can I have your number so I can text you now and then? That's just pure absurdity. But people in this world are constantly telling the church what to be. Oh, you need to care about this. If you don't care about this and you're not a Christian. Well, I don't really see this in the scriptures, you know. How does that match? And that's what happens is people are going to say to you, oh, you think you're a Christian, then you should be this way. Just simply say, I, I'm not comparing myself with you and you can't tell me. I'm here to follow Jesus and who he is calling me to be. The world wants to tell you that if you have this position on something, if you don't affirm what they want, then you are a hater. They say if you uh, don't achieve this value because we value it, then you're a hypocrite. That's what the world wants to do. Why does it want to do that? Because the world doesn't want you in a Jesus community at all. Because the world is threatened by people who follow Jesus with a pure and unadulterated faith. 
Only a community focused on Jesus is what matters, what lasts, what builds a legacy in your life. Avery's community was something that pushed her through this transition. She said, I'm never going to be an Olympic runner. And, but what I will be is I will help my school win awards. I'll be a part of a team. And she said, I had to shift from my identity of being the best to being a contributing team member for victory and success. And by being in Fellowship of Christian Athletes, they helped me understand that, that my identity wasn't based around my capacity to just run faster than everybody else, but it was to be an athlete that was a part of a team that had a great culture. And that identity change helped me so that when I got out of college, it made it so much better. I had so much more confidence when I entered the work force. Samantha looks back on her experience and she says, look, the party committee <laughs> held me back. It didn't do anything for me. As a matter of fact, it hindered me because it taught me really bad habits that took a lot of other communities like AA to teach me how to break. This is what Paul is talking about here. He's saying that your spiritual community, if it's focused on Jesus, will be the best thing ever for you. But if you find the wrong community, it's going to hinder your faith. Now let's look at the last few verses and see what he does. Verses 16 through 18. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to the Israel of God. He says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. This is his little mic drop right here. This is, okay, goodbye. I'm done. And I like how he says, I bear on my body the marks of Christ. He's saying circumcision, uncircumcision doesn't matter, but my suffering for the truth does matter, and it's a testimony to you that I speak you the truth. So let's go back and kind of reevaluate the importance of what Paul's teaching here about our rule. Our rule was live in community, live in the church. Now, why would you do that? Well, the first reason why, and this is in your notes on the app on the phone, and that is, is because community is awesome. It's absolutely awesome because it inspires you to invest your life in things that matter. As we have opportunity, okay, what opportunities are before us? Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let us invest ourselves in things that are good, things that can bring goodness to all who are involved. You see, that's why we are here as a church, to know Jesus and look for opportunities to do good in his name. Because it's in community where your faith is encouraged, your faith is inspired, and your faith is strengthened. What is faith? Faith is simply knowing Jesus, knowing who he is, knowing who you are, and what he's doing in your life. That's faith. Knowing who Jesus is, knowing who you are, and what he's doing in your life. It's not complicated. And it's in community where you discover that. Look at what happens when there is no community in people's lives. 
We see in the world that they've adopted some of this principle in the helping professions. For instance, Weight Watchers. Weight Watchers has made millions of dollars by getting women in smaller communities and guys in smaller communities with the sole purpose of doing what? Losing weight. And what is the central focus of a Weight Watchers meeting? It's a scale. You go and you weigh yourself, right? And you give this verbal affirmation. The world, uh, for instance, Alcoholics Anonymous, AA has helped more people than you can imagine achieve sobriety. How do they do it? By putting people in small communities where they go and they encourage each other. You tell your story. Group therapy is critically important, particularly for teenagers in trying to find health. We see these models. Where did they get these ideas? They got them from the Scripture, that it's in community with God and one another where we're restored and we're healed. That's why community is so awesome. Is your soul thirsty? I mean, are you thirsty in your soul? Are you wondering why in the world am I on the face of this planet? Have you had to live through turmoil in your own life? Maybe your family was torn apart. Maybe there was violence that came in. Maybe you were a victim of abuse. Maybe the world did something and your family suffered unjustly or you did. Maybe somebody tripped you up, took away an opportunity for you. Maybe you were your own worst enemy and you look back and say, man, I wish I would have worked harder and stuck with it. Why did I give up? What, whatever it is, is your soul longing for something that says, I affirm your existence. Well, the only community where you're going to find that is in the church that is led by Jesus and him alone. Is your marriage struggling? Is your marriage on its last thread? Are you wondering, how do I heal my marriage? How do I get back on track and restore that love that I had for my spouse when we first met? I mean, when we first met, you know, it was like lights out. I mean, I'm driving my pickup truck. I'm listening to country music and writing poetry. What's wrong with me? And yet now you're at that point where you're thinking, man, I don't even know if I want to be in the same room with this person. How do you get back to that? Do you think you're going to get back to that out on your own? Do you think there's a, a, a five-minute video on YouTube that you can watch that's going to help you get back on track? That's never going to happen. You're not going to read a book and it's going to change your life. The place where you find restoration, the place where you find healing for your marriage is in God's community. You find it there. That's where the Spirit of God wants to work in your Life. Be around the people of God, people that are growing and loving and expressing faith in Jesus Christ, because that's going to build your marriage. Are you divorced? Are you divorced and you're thinking to yourself, man, I don't know how to wait, get through all this. Half the time, I'm so angry at what that other, my spouse did. The other time, I'm so upset with myself because I've, of what I did. I can't even forgive myself. I look at the impact that it's had on my family and my kids. And gosh, I, you know, how are you going to work? All, do you think you're going to buy a book that's going to heal all that in your life? Ain't going to happen. Five therapy sessions with a counselor who doesn't even know if they believe in marriage or not isn't going to help you. 
What you need is you need healing in your soul. What you need is a rebirth and a redemption. And I'm telling you this, I can't even give that to you. Only Jesus can. Jesus is your only option. He's your only avenue. He's your only healer. He's your only restorer. How do you experience the overwhelming power of his love in your life to heal you and restore you? In his church. You're not gonna experience it any other way. Are you a single parent? Are you thinking, how in the world do I navigate this world? Be in community. Are you working, struggling through an addiction? Community is awesome because it's God's community that will give you hope and healing. Do you need to recover from grief? Are you angry? Are you bitter? Do you have regrets? Do you, it doesn't matter what it is. The community of Jesus Christ exists on the power of his Holy Spirit to heal and restore us. And when we live that way, we fulfill the law of Christ. That's why community is awesome. It's not just awesome, my friend. It is necessary. You can't live without it because it inspires you to never, ever give up. It tells us how to overcome the false things we believe in order to become the you that you were meant to be, the new creation in Christ. And your new creation in Christ then can receive the beauty of God's work in your own life, healing and restoration and wholeness. And you can start living out of that. You don't have to live out the things of, that you've programmed your flesh to desire to get through each and every other day. You can now live off of the Spirit of God alive in your soul. Paul said this. He said, man, I want to know the power of his resurrection. Think about that for a second. Think about that. The power over death. Ask yourself this question. In my life right now, what's killing me? Well, if left to its own devices, it'll have its way. But you have the power over death when you know Jesus. You see, when Jesus is in you and you're connected and you're living in his community, you know how I have, you, so I want to know the power of his resurrection to bring life back into whatever I, it's trying to kill me so that I can be freed from it. Let us not grow weary in doing good for God, for in due time, we will reap a harvest. Let us necessarily believe in the awesomeness of the community of Jesus Christ called the church. Let it be your commitment. Let it be your passion. Let it be your goal to see your church. And if you're listening and you're not a part of our church, make it your local community. Wherever you are, commit yourself to making it the healthiest so that you become the healthiest. Commit to it being the strongest so you become the strongest. That it's the most courageous so you become the most courageous. It's the most confident proclaimer of the work of Jesus Christ in this world so that you experience the confidence of what it means to walk with God. Amen. Now, what we do at the end of each and every series is I write the church a blessing, meaning I want to bless you as if they were God's blessing on you. So would you please stand and receive your blessing?
in a world that is dark, confusing, and mired in selfish ambition and vain conceit, you have been blessed with the greatest life truth of all. The light of the world, the very glory of God himself, the radiance of his love and his affirmation of your life has been given to you, and now you are a vessel of his grace. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free, so stand firm. Stand firm and do not let the world tell you who you are. Stand firm and pursue that which is good, that which is holy, that which is righteous. Stand firm and live for something greater, stronger, and more beautiful than anything the world has to offer. Stand firm and leave a legacy for your children and your grandchildren that will never pass away. For when you stand firm, your freedom will shine like the dawn. You will discover the real you that is you in him, and your confidence will grow. Your courage will grow. Your purpose will grow. And though this world fights against your soul, fear not, declares the Lord. Be not discouraged, depressed, lost, or filled with despair. Open your heart to me, declares the Lord, I am the one who will lift you up. I will put a new song in your heart. I will strengthen, encourage, and sustain you. And I shall declare you to be my son and my daughter forever. You are bound to me, says the Lord, through my blood, a covenant sworn unto myself. You are adopted into my family. You've been made an heir of every spiritual blessing. And this was my plan for you from before the foundation of the world. I have sworn an oath to do this unto myself, for there is none other greater than I by which to swear. For I am Jesus and you will discover who you are in me and me alone. Blessings upon you. Let us listen. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.